When CNN broadcasted the alien's final list of demands, it read like something the conquistadors might have dictated to the South Americans. They wanted supplies, and they wanted children. Ninety-eight percent of the healthy ones, boys and girls, everyone five to twelve, to start a human section of their vast alien army. All over the world, riots broke out at the news, and suddenly the reporters had something else to talk about. The Crips and the Bloods and the Hells Angels were taking a stand right alongside disbanded soldiers, National Guard, and Marines. People everywhere were dying in swaths. The aliens obliterating whole city blocks if too many people tried to fight. Joe stayed glued to the TV only eating when his stomach distracted him from the aliens marching across the screen. They were so precise, so perfect, like the old World War II videos of Nazi soldiers. It triggered something primal that made him want to crawl under his bed and hide. But not his dad. When they finally announced that the alien collection crews would be sweeping through their neighborhood, Joe's father pulled out his old military work camis and started getting dressed. They were the desert ones, the ones Joe had associated with war back when Joe had to stand in a crowd with his mom and watch his dad get on a ship to go overseas. His dad prided himself on having the most tightly rolled sleeves in his unit, tighter than the captains and majors and generals themselves. A Marine takes pride in his job, Joe, even if it's rolling sleeves. It was what his father said a thousand times before when he labored over his uniform. Now, he said nothing. Joe and Sam watched him, neither able to dredge up the courage to ask him why he was getting dressed in the middle of the night. The silence was ominous. When their mother saw what her husband was doing, she ushered Joe and Sam to their rooms and made them lock the doors. Through the cracks, Joe heard her argue with his father, plead with him, and cry. But finally she retreated and sequestered herself in the other end of the house. Joe crept back out to watch his father iron his camis, his anxiety growing like a hard lump in his throat. Sam followed him. For long moments the three of them just stood there watching the iron in silence. Then softly, without looking up, their dad said, Sometimes you've got to stand up for yourself even when you know you ain't got a chance. Outside, they heard shouts and helicopters and car alarms. What are you doing, Dad? Sam whispered. Yeah, Dad, Joe said softly. They disbanded the Marines. You heard the TV. The iron stopped, settling over the sleeve. Their father stared down at it, his muscular arm no longer moving. When he looked at them, Joe was stunned to see tears. Their father settled his gaze on Sam. You get yourself an MIT, Sam. You're going to be a big guy like your brother and me. But brute strength ain't going to win this. It's going to be someone with a brain like yours, and you ain't no warrior. You're a scholar, kid. Stay here and figure out a way to beat these bastards. The iron started to move again. Sam's chest caught in a sob. I'll go. Stay here, Dad. I'll go with them. No. Their father's tone brooked no argument. Sam, the idiot, argued anyway.
But- Go back to your room. Their father's voice was filled with warning. But dad- Go, Sam. Giving Joe an agonized look, Sam went. Joe's father finished ironing in silence and then tugged his cami jacket over his wide shoulders. The sleeves rested just above his biceps, crisp and perfect despite the chaos outside. Seeing it on his father for the first time in four years, Joe felt a cold chill. When their eyes met, there was a sadness in his father's face, a recognition that Joe could not understand. He watched his dad pick up three guns he'd left by the front door, his throat burning with the need to say something. Take care of your brother, Joe. Then his father opened the door and disappeared into the chaos of black smoke, gunfire, and screaming.